the very prison walls suddenly seemed to reel, and the sky above my head became like a cask of scorching steel. And though I was a soul in pain, my pain I could not feel. And the warders with their jingling keys opened each listening cell. Out into God's sweet air we went, but not in wonted way. For this man's face was white with fear, and that man's face was grey. And I never saw sad men who looked so wistfully at the day. to Northridge State Penitentiary. It's uh, great to have you here. Didn't the team do a great job? I mean, seriously. If you're a guest, you need to know that we do lock all the doors and have them secured until the warden says it's time to leave. No, that's not true. It's great to have you here as we kick off a brand new series called Breakout. Thrilled that you're here. Uh, I believe that some of you might have actually even had to work through some traffic and, and we want you to know the reason we have four weekend services is so we can kind of divide that up and sometimes you just all want to be here at the same time and we get that and we appreciate the fact that you're here. But isn't it fun to come to a church where people are fighting to get here? Uh, there are churches all over the world with... <clears throat> There are churches all over the world with lots of parking, and we are just really excited for what God's doing here and that you chose to work through that. And for those of you who are in our overflow areas, we're just so thankful that you're here and investing yourself that way, and for those of you watching online, it's just great to have you here. And I, I am so excited about this series. I've been contemplating it now for months because I just have been looking into my own spiritual journey and into the journey of others and, and I've begun realizing that we're missing the essential issue that Jesus came to give us. Many of us are, are just not experiencing what Jesus came to give us and the great truth of Christianity is that we can experience in our lives genuine freedom. Now, I know as Americans, very often we kind of confuse that a little bit. I'm not talking about the, the freedoms we have as Americans, you know, to go where we want to go, to do what we want to do, to be what we want to be, to believe what we want to believe. Those are absolutely great freedoms. But the reality is that in the midst of those external freedoms that we have in this environment where we are, many of us still live in bondage. I mean, we, we literally allow ourselves to be internally, spiritually in bondage to things like adversity and anger and loneliness. Some of us in absolute bondage to lust of some kind or, or betrayal. Many of us are in bondage to apathy, the inability to, to just do. And many of us in bondage to doubt. It's like inside we create our own internal prison cells, this place where we limit ourselves, where we don't really live like God created us to live, even though He's provided freedom for us to become all that He wants us to become. And when you live in any kind of dark or isolated place, it usually doesn't lead to better things in your life. It usually leads to worse things. And those who go into prison sometimes go in having made mistakes, but many times they come out with a darker view of the world and a darker view of life than they went in with. And the same can happen when we allow ourselves to live internally in bondage, when we live in prison cells of our own making. Very often they lead to even bigger issues of bondage like hatred or bitterness or devastating guilt and and the truth is that we live in a world of addictions, and addictions are very often created by 
the desire to escape the bondage that we're in, the emptiness we're in, and they just hold us even tighter. And, and this is where the good news of, of Christianity comes in because, you see, Jesus has made it possible for us to experience freedom from the internal bondage that so many of us experience. He made it possible for us to be free. He unlocked the prison cells that we exist in so that we can walk out. In fact, it's a primary truth of Christianity. Look at John chapter 8, verse 32. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom's the point. In fact, Galatians chapter 5, 1 says it in another way, even stronger terms. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's why he's come, to give us freedom Stand firm then in that freedom. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That passage makes it clear. Jesus came to unlock the prison doors that we exist in, the, to unlock us from the bondage that holds us from living the lives that he created us for. And even when we've started following him, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves still sitting in the prison cell. He's unlocked the door, but many of us are still existing in that prison, still existing in bondage, still existing in the place he came to set us free from. We shouldn't do it. And that's the whole point of the series. So many of us, me, a big part of this, are being held back from experiencing the freedom that Jesus came to give us, and that's why we called this series Breakout. It's just time to break out. It's time to experience the essence of what Jesus came to give us. It's time to live the life that Jesus made it possible for us to live. It's time to break out and be free. And this weekend, what we're going to do is we're going to start with one of the forms that comes into our life that allows us to, unfortunately, sit in a prison cell of our own making, and that form, that human reality is adversity. Now, adversity is a kind of weird word. We don't use that word a lot. In fact, someone tweeted out this week, I think the adversity Brad Powell's talking about is an old, old ship somewhere. And uh, I get it. It's not really a popular word. But by adversity, we're talking about sorrow or difficulty, hard times, hardships that, that we go through. And adversity is the great equalizer, to be honest with you. It doesn't matter who you are, you're going to experience adversity. This isn't something that the rich can escape and only the poor experience. It doesn't just come to those of us who have failed and it doesn't come to those who have succeeded. No, it comes to everybody. All of us experience adversity. And it comes in all kinds of different forms. But it usually comes suddenly. It usually comes in very unmerciful ways. Uh, sometimes it comes in the form of a, of a late-night phone call that changes life in devastating ways from then on. It's happened in my life when I got a phone call about my dad getting pancreatic cancer. Then he would no longer be with me, and he's not now. It happened with Roxanne's dad. She went to visit him in Atlanta, and he was sick and went to the hospital, but the doctor said, no problem, he's going to do fine, you can leave, and she flew home and at night at 3 in the morning got a call that her dad was dead. I mean, adversity is something that none of us can escape. Sometimes it comes from a child. In fact, you know, Roxanne and I have three children, and, you know, we have some advice for you. If you'd like to avoid adversity, don't have kids. <laughs> it's just one easy way out, you know. Of course, it eliminates a lot of fun that you can have being married. Oh, never mind. I didn't really mean to go there. But Sometimes it comes in the form of an employer. Boy, a lot of people in our region of the world experience that in their life, haven't they? Sometimes it comes in the form of a doctor. And none of us can escape it. Uh, Roxanne and I have experienced this in, in a big way. Uh, Neither of us have been given the news that some of you have been given about having a terminal illness, you or your spouse or someone you are in relationship with, but both of us have been delivered some pretty scary news. When Roxanne was pregnant with Carissa, our first child, she went numb 
over her whole body, and we took her in immediately for checkups, and they thought, I mean, here she was. She was just young, 24 years old, and they thought she had had a stroke, probably induced by the pregnancy, and they had to put her on all kinds of medicines, and, and, um, and we lived in constant fear that, that she could be debilitated forever as she went through this pregnancy. It was scary, and we weren't exempt. Eight or nine years ago, I started all of a sudden, I'd always been pretty healthy and pretty active, I started shaking, just violently shaking and tremors, and I couldn't control it, and I was losing, just weight was falling off me, and I, I couldn't think straight, and emotionally I was just spraying, and, and we found out that I had a disease called Graves' disease, it's hyperthyroidism, your thyroid goes nuts, and there was only one cure, they had to kill my thyroid, and so they did, and then you know, then the reverse thing happened, and they've had to try and balance me out. And I never knew if my life would come back to normal again. And it has. It's been regulated, but I didn't know. And I'm just telling you, I didn't expect that. But it happened to us. We're not exempt. People look at our lives, and they go, wow, it must be pretty great to be in a ministry like this. If you're going to be a pastor, you might as well pastor a pretty significant church like this. But people just don't understand the adversity it, it demanded to get here. The betrayal and the disappointment and the, the pain and the hurt and the rejection along the way. It's crazy. And even today, the unbelievable troubles that come with trying to be a part of so many people's lives, it is not without adversity. It's filled with it. We have fought war after war after war simply to help point people to Jesus. We all have it. It's inescapable. And I'm not talking about something I'm not well acquainted with. You need to know wherever it comes and whatever form it takes, you're going to experience it. You can't avoid it. You can't hide from it. And you need to know that in spite of how some people teach wrongly the Bible, God has made it very clear that following Him doesn't eliminate the trouble. Following Him doesn't take away the hard things. When we're going through trouble, it's not because we don't have enough faith. It's ridiculous. If that's true, then Jesus had a little problem with faith because he had some trouble. It's just bad Bible teaching. God was totally upfront with us. Following him changes our life, but it doesn't change the reality of trouble being in our life. Psalm 23, one of the great psalms, says, The Lord's our shepherd, and we will never want for anything but... Then says... He'll walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say he'll keep us from the valley of the shadow of death. It says he'll walk with us through the valley of shadow of death. We will have adversity, and God's been totally honest about that. And yet many of us, when we confront adversity, allow it to put us in a prison, a bondage. And here's the truth that I want you to see this weekend so that we can take advantage of the freedom that Jesus gave us so that we can, we can open that cell gate that he's unlocked and we can walk out and experience freedom. You need to know this. We can't escape adversity, but we can escape its prison. We can't escape adversity. It's going to come, but we can escape the bondage that it tends to put us in. Look at how Jesus said it in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. There's no doubt, there's no hedging, there's no if you have enough faith. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. What's the prison that it puts us in? It's a bondage. Because when we start going through hard times and difficult times, when we're trying to do good things and bad things starts happening, what happens is we start getting all bound up by things that paralyze us, like disappointment and sadness and grief and frustration and discouragement. We start experiencing some disillusionment. I thought if I did good things, good things would happen. I thought if I worked hard that, you know, I'd have a job all my life. I thought if I, if I took care in marrying the right person and that I loved that person that the marriage would work out okay. I, I thought, I thought, I thought. And, and it doesn't happen. We go through adversity and, and we start becoming disillusioned and we start losing our faith in people and even God. And it ultimately causes us many times to just throw up our hands in defeat. I don't know about you, but when things get really, really hard and when things are going really, really wrong, I just want to, by nature, I just want to quit. When a relationship starts going really, really wrong, I just want to say, well, 
It's not worth it. Don't you? Just walk away from this. And this is human nature. This isn't just me. It's not just you. It's human nature. It's all of us. It happens in all circumstances of life. In fact, I, I thought I'd take a, a, a this week illustration to kind of show you that when things go wrong, the natural thing is just to turn our back and walk away. And it happened in the life of, of someone, whether you know the name or not, you probably have heard of. It, this guy is a mega, mega, mega action movie director. I mean, mega. Made huge money, made a bunch of movies. He, Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck. He, he made the Transformer series and, and many other mega movies. His, his name is Michael Bay. And because he makes these action figures, Samsung, who's come out with this new curved TV that's supposed to show vibrancy and action better than any TV you ever have. Who doesn't want a TV that no longer fits on your wall? Now it takes up more room. I mean, really, this is what all of us need. But the curvature is supposed to show action and vibrancy of color. It's supposed to be the next great thing. And so why not get Michael Bay to come and say, this will make my pictures look better? Sounds pretty easy. So they hired him, and they held a media event with hundreds and hundreds of people, right? And then it happened. Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, director and producer Michael Bay. Good afternoon. Thanks, Joe. Good afternoon, Michael. How is everyone today? Uh, my job as a director is I get to dream for a living. Michael, you know, you're known for such unbelievable action. What, what inspires you? How, what, how do you come up with these unbelievable ideas? Um, I create visual worlds that are so beyond every, everyone's normal life experiences. And Hollywood is a place that creates uh, a viewer escape. And um, what I try to do is, I, as a director, I try to... Uh, the type is all off, sorry, but I'll just wing this. Tell us what you think. Yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll wing it right now. Um, I take I try to take people on an emotional ride, and um, the curve. How does it? Uh, how do you think it's going to impact uh, how viewers experience your movies? Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let's thank Michael Bay for joining us. I mean, and that's the natural reaction. Seriously, I mean, you know, he was using one of those things that had his speech outline on there, and it went bad. So it wasn't there anymore. And so he, he, he a little adversity, and what's he do? He throws up his hands, and he, he walks out. And this is how we handle life. But if I could, just as an aside, and Michael Bay's a very valuable human being. He matters to God. He should matter to us. But let me just tell you something. I didn't think the question was all that tough. I mean, the guy's made, like, you know, bunches of movies, right? And uh, the question was, so as a director, what do you do? <laughs> I don't know, man. The script isn't there for me. I have no clue what I... But, but this it's a great illustration about what happens to us because most of us know what to do. Most of us know what we should do. Most of us know how to walk out and to live. But we don't. We just don't. And because our nature kind of works against us, but Jesus has made it possible for us to be free. We sang a song just before I came out here called Brave, and the truth is we're in Jesus free to be brave, free to keep standing, free to keep living, free to keep experiencing, free to keep becoming, even when everything seems to go against us because God still works his best even in the midst of life's worst. We can be free. And I want to give you an example of this. I mean, we need human examples. I do. And the Apostle Paul's a good one. You may be new to the Bible. The Apostle Paul, St. Paul, was a guy that was really antagonistic against Christ and Christians. Uh, and then he came to Christ and started following him himself. In fact, became such a profound Christ follower that he ultimately wrote a good portion of the New Testament of the Bible. I mean, big time. But he wasn't free of adversity. And I want to read a long passage that really describes some of the adversity he experienced. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29. It'll show on the screen. I've worked much harder, 
been in prison, there's a relevant term for our series, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. And in danger from false brothers, people who claim to be followers of Christ but weren't. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for what I care about most, all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn with the same temptation? And all he's saying is, look at this is a part of humanity. We're going to experience adversity. But something about Paul takes a different turn than what we do by nature, than who I am by nature. Paul wasn't defeated by it. Paul wasn't demoralized by it. Paul wasn't disillusioned by it. Paul wasn't giving up because of it. In Philippians, we find, it's another book in the Bible, we find Paul in prison and he's facing death. I mean, he thinks he's going to die. And this is what he said in Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And you might say, well, that's just one verse. He's trying to be, you know, he's trying to be Winnie the Pooh in a world of Eeyore, you know, and he's just saying it. But if you read through the book of Philippians, I mean, and I really encourage you to do it, count the times he uses the word joy. In the midst of great sorrow, he is expressing joy and encouraging us to express and experience joy. He's free. Why? Because he's found the freedom that Jesus came to give him. He refuses to allow adversity to put him back in the prison cell that Jesus unlocked for him. And I don't know about you, but when I experience trouble, it, it, like with Michael Bay, it really makes me want to stop fighting, stop running, and just sit down and give up. But not with him. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And then he goes on to talk about how and God will reward him and anyone else who does that. I, I'm telling you, too many of us are sitting in an unlocked prison cell as if we belong there and we don't. When you follow Jesus, you can experience freedom. But if you're going to do that, you have to learn to properly deal with, appropriately deal with adversity. If I'm going to walk out of the prison cell and experience freedom, I need to properly deal with adversity. And this isn't just your issue, it's our issue. And so what I've done is I've gone through the Bible and I've looked at principles God's given us for experiencing this freedom. And, and this isn't something I'm telling you how to do. This is something I'm sharing with you about how I am seeking to live this way and hopefully it'll help you. The first principle I found, if I'm going to properly deal with the adversity, the trouble that's going to come, I'm going to experience freedom. I need to accept adversity, trouble, difficulty as a part of life. And this isn't normal for me because I'm looking for the shortcut around it. I'm looking for ways to avoid trouble. I, I just am. I, if I can live life without trouble, I'm all in. And that's kind of my thing. But there's no way around it. You're going to experience it. We have to accept it as part of life. That's why Jesus told us, I'm going to tell you these things. In this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to experience difficult times. We have to expect it. It's normal. It's unavoidable. It seldom arrives at convenient or predictable times, and it comes in all shapes and sizes. Just know it. I think many of us are giving up on God, and many of us are giving up on others, and many of us are giving up on relationships, and many of us are giving up on ourselves because we're experiencing trouble when all we have to understand is it's a part of life. Just like breathing. There's another principle. If I'm going to deal with adversity the right way, I need to face it one day at a time. If I'm going to live free of the prison cell that I tend to sit in when I'm facing trouble, I need to face my trouble one day at a time. Look at how Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Come on, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You can't do anything about tomorrow. Live today. Today's the only thing you can manage. And, and I have a problem with this because I'm not a person that kind of just lives in the moment. I, I like, I'm like a dreamer. I like to kind of 
see in the future. And when trouble starts happening, what I do is I start looking way down the road, and I can, I can create and magnify all kinds of visions about what's going to happen. And it puts me in, a, in an ocean of trouble. I make it a lot bigger than it is by looking too far ahead, and it becomes overwhelming and paralyzing for me. And this is what I have to do. I have to realize I have to face it one day at a time, or I'm going to lock myself in a prison of bondage. I have to do today what I can do today, and that's it. And the same is true with you. I believe too many of us are, are looking at a whole life of trouble instead of looking at today. There's another principle. If we're going to deal properly with trouble, we have to learn to recognize and to understand our natural responses to it. We all have natural responses, and we have different personalities, and we do different things with it, but we all respond naturally to trouble and destructively by nature. In fact, look at how Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says it. God says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. He's talking about Jesus. Consider him. I mean, come on. He was beaten to a pulp. He was nailed to a cross, and he died. Consider what he did for you when he didn't deserve it so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. He's simply pointing out a reality. Here's your natural reaction. When you experience tough times and things go wrong, you naturally grow weary and lose heart. You give up. You quit. You do what Michael Bay did. Oh, man, I can't do this. I'm just going to escape it. But when you look at Jesus, you can go, oh, my gosh, if he can do that for me, then I can get through this deal. But you have to know your natural response. And all of us have different ones. You know, some of us, when bad things start happening, we immediately start blaming others. Do you know that person? Are you married to him? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, you start blaming others. It's not their fault. It's your fault. And they do it at work. They do it in relationships. They do it here. Blame. And you know what that kind of person naturally does when it's their natural response? They naturally blame God. You know, why are you doing this to me? You're not doing it to other people. Why are you doing this to me? And they get filled with hatred and bitterness. They start pushing God out of their life because they blame. If you can recognize that in yourself and you see it happening, you can prevent it from going too far. Others of us start throwing a pity party. I mean, when bad things start happening, we start going, you know, we start playing that violin, and I don't know why I'm doing with this, my finger and thumb, I have no clue, like that's a violin, but anyway, it's like we start playing that pity party violin number, and we start, oh, you know, it's not happening to anyone, it's all me, it's all me, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just hear it in the voice of Eeyore, why me, you know, that kind of deal. And then there are some of us that respond in a very different way. When, when trouble comes, we just sink into discouragement. We kind of, kind of come within ourselves, and we just start getting filled with despair, losing all hope. And these are the people who just, like Michael Bay, just throw their arms up and they quit. They're out. They're out of the game. But when you know your natural response and you can recognize it, then you can start avoiding it, living free. Because whatever your response is, it's putting you in a prison that you don't belong in because Jesus came to set you free. If I'm going to deal properly when adversity comes into my life, and this is a huge one, I have to know and embrace and live God's truth. I already gave you the verse, John 8, 32. You'll know the truth, God's truth, and his truth sets you free. It's that which allows you to overcome that which puts you in bondage. So many of my wrong and self-destructive reactions to, to difficult times stems clearly from me not knowing or not embracing or not choosing to live God's truth. And Jesus made this clear. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and, and puts them into practice and lives them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And you can read the rest of the passage. It's like when trouble comes, and it will, you're on a foundation that keeps you standing. But if you don't hear, don't know, don't live his truth, you get washed away because you have no foundation at all. And I'm going to tell you, this is a big one for me because by nature, when I go through difficult times, things I don't feel like I deserve, I have all the wrong thoughts. All the wrong thoughts. And I'm just like you. For example, when I go through tough times, you know what the first thought I have is? What's God got against me? Have you ever had that thought? It's like, what, am I I that fun for you to dump on God? Really? Really? What have I done to offend you? I actually feel like when I'm going through trouble, somehow I've become God's enemy. That's just never true. Here's the truth according to what God tells us. 
God is always our ally and never our enemy. And when I can think that way, it changes my perspective of him when I'm going through trouble. When I'm going through trouble, he's not trying to get me. He's not trying to tackle me. He's not trying to hurt me. He's not doing it to me. Look at James chapter 1, verses 13 and 17. When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. No, it's the good and perfect gifts that come from him. They come down from the Father. But man, I get all twisted. I put myself in a prison of my own making because I start thinking that God's against me. Can I just tell you this truth? There will never be a moment in your life that God is against you. Never. He's for you. You know who's against you? The evil one, of course. But very often, as in my own circumstance, we're against ourselves. We're the ones putting ourselves in prison. Jesus is the one that unlocked the door. He's always our ally. Another truth, God never allows more adversity than we can bear. When I can know and embrace and live this truth, it, it just changes me. God never allows more adversity than we can bear. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what's common to man, and God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you're tempted, he'll make a, a way for you to get out of it, to stand up under it. It's always too much for me. It's never too much for him in me because he's the God of the impossible. He makes a way for the escape. But when I'm going through trouble, I start thinking, and I know you do this, this is just too much to be, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. We've all done that. But it's never true. He never gives us more than we can bear. You all know about Mother Teresa and the unbelievable life that she lived with the poor in Calcutta. She had a prayer and the first part of it went this way. God, I know you won't give me more than I can bear. I love that because she's saying, I know your truth, I embrace your truth, and I'm going to live your truth. I know that you will never give me more than I can bear. I love that. But then, then she threw on this last part of her prayer, which I can so relate to. But God, I just wish you didn't trust me so much. Isn't that brilliant? But she was acknowledging the truth. She was knowing it. She was living it. And therefore, living in freedom in spite of the pain of her adversity. There's another truth. If I'm going to deal with adversity properly, I need to know, embrace, and live this truth. God is greater than my adversity. There is no giant I will ever face in this world that is bigger than my God. Not one. The problem is when I see my problems as being bigger than my God, I'm seeing my problems as a giant in relation to me instead of seeing God as a giant in relationship to my problems. Who's your giant? Too many of us put ourselves in prison because we see our problems as the giant instead of our God. Look at 1 John 4, 4. Dear children, you're from God. You've overcome all this junk because the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. If you've allowed Jesus Christ to become your Savior, you've opened your life to Him. The one who's in you is bigger than anything in the world. Now, the problem for some of us if we, is that we haven't done that yet. He's not in us. And as long as He's not in you, you will always cave to the power of the world. There's another truth. If I'm going to truly respond right to adversity, I have to embrace this truth. No matter how it seems, God does not abandon us in adversity in tough times. God doesn't abandon us if you're at all like me, and I think you are, when you're going through tough times, you, it's like God, you know, kind of is on his coffee break or something. And I say coffee break because I know God drinks coffee. <laughs> Starbucks. But that's a whole, you know, kind of a personal preference he and I have. Um, but we, we feel like he's taken a break. We feel like he's on vacation. We feel like he's gone to sleep. We feel like he's forgotten us. He's turned his back on us. But it's never true. God never abandons us. And he uses Moses as an example. Moses is an Old Testament leader. Look at Joshua chapter 1, 5. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You might not know about Moses, but Moses was a guy who lived 40 years in privilege, and then he lived 40 years in the backside of a desert, feeling isolated and abandoned and all alone. But the truth is that he was never isolated and abandoned and all alone. God was always with him. And when he learned it, it changed his world. And when we learn it, we'll walk out of that prison cell and it'll change our world as well. God never abandons you. You abandon God. 
The times that I live in that prison cell of my own making are the times that I've decided I can go up without him. And I need to remember that he's never abandoned me. And the last one I need to remember is that God is able and committed to working good even in adversity, even in hard times. Look at Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We know this. Now please get it. God doesn't say all things are good. That would be dumb. All things aren't good. But he says, in all things, good or bad, God can work good. And I found this to be so true in my life. He, he's used tough times to increase my capacity to trust him. He's used hard times to, to build my character to become stronger and better and more worthy. He's, he's used hard times to multiply my usefulness. It's all been through hard times. He's created these good things. If you're going to respond right to adversity and not allow it to put you in prison, you have to know and embrace and live God's truth. And this is why this winter we've decided to do something we've never done as a church family before. We are going to, and we're encouraging everyone to join us, we're going to read the entire New Testament together in 40 days. And we're calling it Living the Script. And I want you to know more about this. I want you to think about doing it. I want to encourage you to do it. Go, you can go to northridgechurch.com backslash script. northridgechurch.com backslash script. And you can learn all about it. In fact, some of you are on your smartphones right now or your dumb phones if you have Androids. And you're, and, and you're, you're going to that thing. You won't listen to another word I say. I get it, but that's okay. But Living Script backslash northridgechurch.com backslash script. And you can find out about it. But let me tell you what the next steps are. We, we are trying to encourage every single one of you to get the specially formatted Bible, to buy it, that we're going to all read together. And it's not because we're trying to make money off you. We're giving it to you at our cost. This is not something where we're trying to get a profit from you. We're giving it to you at our cost, what we have to pay for it from the publishers. And, and the reason we want you to get this Bible is because it's a specially formatted one. We, we've, it, it's got no chapters it's got no numbered verses. It's ordered in a way that's probably closer to how it was originally given to us. We're not taking away the words. We're not changing it. We're not making it say what we want to say. It's the, it's the New Testament, but it's formatted in a way that makes it very readable and more in the form of how it was originally given, like a letter. And we're going to read 10, 12 pages today, a day together. And when we read together, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll then be able to have a conversation. You can get this Bible and buy it for friends and stuff that you want to have join you here at this campus or at all of our other campuses, or you can even get it online if you're watching On Demand. Um, and then we want you to commit to a group. We want you to, it's not enough just to read the Bible. We want you to be in a discussion, a conversation with other people about it. So you can join one of the groups that we have, or you can come to our New Life Plus that begins on February 5th, or you can form your own group with family and friends and coworkers that you invite, and you can lead it. And if you, you're forming your own group, we have discussions, questions that we're going to give you and make it really easy for you to discuss it. It's really a neat deal. And the last thing we want to encourage you to do with this is we want you to invite someone. This is not for insiders. You know, the Bible's not for the insiders. I grew up in religious environments where it was like, this is our book, don't touch it. You know, I mean, really? I think it's God's book, you know? And we want you to invite your coworkers, your family, your friends, and everyone you know in neighborhoods, and we want you to invite them to read it and get them the, these Bibles and then form groups with them. It will change their lives like it will change ours. Why? Because when you know, embrace, and live God's truth, it sets you free. It's a big deal. There's another principle that's very important. Just go and sign up. We'd love for you to sign up online. We know you're doing this. Get the Bible. You can do it today. The next thing is we have to commit, if we're going to deal with adversity right way, we have to commit to building relationships that sustain us in adversity. We need to commit to building the kind of relationships that will encourage us and affirm us and keep us going even in times of trouble. Look what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know what the problem I find in my past is? I'm going to face adversity. I'm going to fall down. But I have found myself a lot in the past not having anyone there to pick me up because I hadn't been investing in a relationship where someone cared or someone could know or someone would be moved to do it. And I've had to change that in my life because by nature I kind of pull away instead of pull close to. 
Paul's a great example again. I mean, how did he stay in the game and finish the race in spite of all the trouble he experienced? He, he built the right kind of relationships. He, he built relationships with key people that ultimately helped him to keep going. He sustained his relationships by building them with key men. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, 9 through 11. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. He's betrayed me. He's become disloyal. Only Luke is now with me. So, Timothy, you come and get Mark and bring him too, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. You know what he's saying? I need people now. I need them. I need you. And I, I really relate to this, because I've fallen a lot when there weren't people to pick me up. But then, in the, my recent journey, last couple of decades, I've been building relationships over time where there are people there that can lift me up in time of trouble. And, and uh, I have a small group of the elders of the church here. We, we've decided that the only way we can do leadership well is to do um, relationship well. And so we build positive relationships. And about nine years ago, as I said, I got Graves' disease, right? This thing was debilitating to me. Here I am. I was pastoring and responsible for a lot of stuff around here. And, and I mean, emotionally, I was messed up. Mentally, I was messed up. Physiologically, I was just totally messed up. And... It, I was facing monsters in my life that I never thought I would face, ever. I was on the precipice of some really, really, really potentially destructive choices in my life, and it scared the living fire out of me. And what I would do by nature is I wouldn't tell people. I would hide it, but I knew I couldn't make it that way, and so I opened up to the elders and said, I'm in trouble. I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with stuff that I can't handle on my own told my wife about it too, obviously. And they all encouraged me to get with a psychologist who understood this particular thing I was going through and understood ministry, public profile kind of positions like mine and, and helped me work through it, and I did. And it saved me because I had someone who could help lift me up during this hard time. I had a group that could do this. It saved me. And you know, the problem is many of us don't have relationships like that in our life. And when adversity comes, we have no one there to turn to and we fall. When we offer you to, and encourage you to get in groups, we're not doing it to get something from you. We're not doing it for us. We're doing it for you. You need other people. Please get in groups. Please start finding ways that you can start building forward in your life-sustaining relationships. And he also sustained himself through tough times by building his relationship with Jesus, Paul did. He was sustained by his relationship with Christ. Look at Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. How could he be in prison and still live with joy? Because he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. But before we can build our relationship with Christ, we have to have a relationship with Christ, right? And this is the problem. I believe many of us who are Christ followers have decided to follow him, but we're not building a relationship with him. No wonder we don't have the strength. We're not walking in freedom because we're not walking with him. And then there are some of us who've never, ever invited him into our life. Romans 10, 13 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not everyone who's religious, not everyone who's raised in church, not everyone who's baptized, not everyone who's catechism. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord trusts him, depends on him. Have you ever done that? Invited him into your life? That's the starting place. That's where freedom begins. And so just before I bring this, this talk in for a landing, I just want to ask you to pray with me for a minute. And I ask you to honor this moment and pray with me. If you're here in Plymouth or in Brighton Hall or Ann Arbor, Celine, or even on demand, and if you're a believer already, I want to encourage you to start thinking through whether you're in the prison or out of it, building your relationship with him or not. But if you're here and you've never called on him, why not pray right now and do that? Just pray with me in your heart. Just make my words yours. Just say, Jesus, I'm calling on you right now because I desperately need you. I've been trying to do life without you, and it's just... A mess. I've sinned against you, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, and I'm trusting you to forgive me, and I believe you rose again to give me new life, and I'm trusting you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 
if you just prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you. Let us know, and here's why. We've put together a packet of information that can help you navigate some first steps in your relationship with God, but we need to know you prayed with me. So in your program that we handed you is this connection card. And on the front of it, uh, you fill out the information so we can get the packet to you. You check off that circle in the orange that says, Today I prayed to receive Jesus. Check that off. And as you leave, at every exit is a little box you can throw that into. And we'll send you that information to help you move forward. And if you're watching on demand, just hit the What Next button and we'll do the exact same thing for you. We need to move forward. This week's a special week. On Friday night, I do something I only do every three months. It's called Discover Northridge. And it's a place where you can learn about the basics of following Jesus and how Northridge is trying to connect you to that. And, and to sign up, you can fill out that same connection card. It's on the opposite side. Turn that in. You can go to guest services. You can go to northridgechurch.com. It's this Friday night. It's a three-hour experience. We'd love to have you here. And I think you would benefit from it greatly. Two more principles. If I'm going to deal appropriately with adversity and walk in freedom, I need to get or stay focused on serving others. I need to get or stay focused on serving others. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Paul avoided being imprisoned through his adversity by serving. He says, now I want you to know, verse 12, brothers, that what has happened to me by being in prison unjustly has really served to advance the good news about Jesus. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, Caesar's palace, and to everyone else in Rome, that I am in chains for Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I'm thrown in prison for doing the right thing, I'm going to be a little T.O.'d about that. You know what I mean? For those of you who are anal, T.O.'d. I didn't say the other word. That's in your mind. You're the problem, not me. All right? T.O.'d. And I would really be ticked off about it because I'm suffering unjustly. Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, okay, here I am. I'm in prison. And these Roman guards have to be chained to me their entire shift. And then when their shift is done, new Roman guards have to be chained to me. I know what I'll do. I'm going to spend the whole time they're chained to me telling them about Jesus. And as a result, some of these people came to faith in Jesus, started transforming their lives. And you know what they did? They took it into a place where the truth of Jesus couldn't go, into Caesar's palace. And you know what ultimately happened? Ultimately, Jesus overcame Rome because Paul was willing not to sit in a prison of his own despair. And here's what I get from Paul. Externally, he was in a prison, but internally, he was free. More often than not, externally, I'm free, but internally, I'm in a prison. I need to make a switch. How about you? And the way to make the switch is by serving others. Because here's the formula. When you go through adversity only focusing on yourself, all you can see is the pain, and it will always lead to despair. But when you go through adversity and focus on others, you can see the help that you're giving. And it changes your world. We need to serve others. And you can do that any day at work, at home. There are opportunities to serve everywhere. And we try to provide opportunities where you can make a big difference. In February 14th, 15th, and 16th. February 14th and 15th and 16th. You know what we're doing? We've decided that because 6,200 kids die of malnutrition every day around the world, we should do something about it in the name of Jesus. And so we've decided in 2014, we're going to feed up 2 million meals to poor and starving people around the world as a church family. We're going to do 2 million meals. That's awesome. Our Christmas offering, which you've contributed to, is already going to pay for that and resource that. And I'll announce about the Christmas offering later, but that's already paid for. Now all we need are 10,000 volunteers over three days to pack these two million meals, to be involved in helping the poor, serving others. And I'm going to tell you, here's this where you're going, oh, now he's going to try and manipulate us to serve and all that. No, I'm not. Look at if you don't care about anyone but yourself, if you don't care about others... <laughs> If you don't care about the poor, if you don't want to do anything good in this world, no, don't do it. But if there's any humanity in you at all, maybe you should be a part. Okay, that was a little bit of manipulation, wasn't it? I'm sorry about that. I really don't have to manipulate. Here's the thing. We all want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We announced this just a couple weeks back. We opened it for registration on January 1st, so it's only been open for about 11 days. We already have over 5,000 volunteers signed up and ready to go for this. Isn't that great? 
We're not going to have a problem getting 10,000 volunteers. I just want to make sure you don't miss the opportunity to serve others. And I really don't want you to miss the opportunity to invite those in your world. Because this isn't about insiders at Northridge Church doing good things. You know what this is about? Us waking the world up to Jesus by showing them his love, by telling them his truth, and by involving them. I, we want you to invite your coworkers, your family, your friends, your neighbors to be a part of this. They don't have to be a part of Northridge Church. We want them to be a part of this experience. We think it'll be life-changing for you and for them. If you want to sign up, you can do it online. You can do it at guest services. If you want an invitation card to invite your friends and families, please do it. Don't miss being a part of this big thing. It's going to change the world. You can go to northridgechurch.com slash 2MM. northridgechurch.com slash 2MM, standing for Million Meals, and be a part of it and register for your times. One last principle. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. Be awake. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to destroy, to devour. This was written by Peter, who was a follower of Jesus, and he kind of fell asleep to the fact that in life we're going to experience adversity and trouble, that we have an enemy, that there's a conflict going on. And Jesus tried to warn him, but he didn't take up a month on the warning, and he fell asleep, and he denied Jesus three times, the worst failure of his entire life. And it happened because he wasn't spiritually disciplined and alert. And now he's warning us. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 26. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the body's weak. And because they didn't take up his advice, all the disciples deserted him and fled. I'm going to tell you right now, I have found in my own experience the easiest person to destroy is the person who's not ready. You need to be ready. You need to be ready. Trouble's going to come. Difficulties come Hardships are going to come. It's a part of life. But you don't have to be put back in prison because of it. You can walk in freedom. Because as Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't allow yourself to be, once again, put in that prison, that yoke of bondage to slavery. Walk free. Live free. Break out. And stop allowing anything to hold you back from the freedom that Jesus came to give you. The choice is yours but I want to walk out of that cell and live my life, and I hope you'll join me. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.